We're going to be in part two of our series on the church. Um, you know, this you know this is bigger than us, right? Right? You know Jesus Christ is going to come back. And did you know that Jesus said that we'll have to give an account for every idle word that we speak? I don't know this. This is sheer theological speculation, but I have this picture in my mind that when I stand before Jesus one day, it'll be before the angels, and a, and a video of my life and my thoughts will be played before everybody to see. And it terrifies me. And I know that the only way you can endure that is if you know that all those things that will be played on that screen are forgiven. This is bigger than us. Jesus Christ died for the church. He died so that we could be the manifold wisdom of God on display to a lost and dying world. We're to be the, we're the first fruits of the new creation. We are those who have been born again by the Spirit. Therefore, the Spirit of God lives in us. Therefore, we are new creatures. Therefore, we should be different. And the world should be able to look at our lives and at our church and say, I don't know what's going on over there, but it's different. They're different. And we should be able to say it's because of Jesus. Today we're going to look at um, our mission. Our mission. Let me pray for us and we'll get started this morning. King Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege of being part of your people. Thank you for the privilege of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Thank you, Lord, to be part. Thank you, Lord, that you grant us to be part of this unbelievable story that you're working in the world, Lord. Lord, help us not to take that lightly. Lord, help us to see the glory and the beauty and the wonder of what it means to be the church, of the high calling that you have called us to as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And help us to be about your work, your mission, your plan for this world. Because that's what we were made for, God. God, help us not waste our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at our mission today. It's the question about why do we exist? Why do you exist? Why are we here? What is the purpose of, of our lives? How do I live a life that a billion years from now won't be a waste? Don't you want to know the answer to that question? These are ultimate questions. These are questions that science, that psychology, uh, that uh, the mainstream media, that introspection cannot answer. 
These are questions which, if they have an answer at all, they must come from God. Because it is God who made us, it is God who gives us life and breath and everything, and it is God to whom we shall have to give an account for the lives that he gave us. We really have one job in the world, and that is to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you hear those words, it doesn't matter how uh, bland or mediocre your life, you thought your life was. If you hear those words, you did it right. It doesn't matter how great, how glorious, how well-esteemed, how rich you were, how many friends you had. If you don't hear those words, you wasted it. We, we have a job to do, church. It's a mission given us by God. We developed a mission statement as a church as we walked through the vision a development phase last year. And it's not original. And it shouldn't be. Because this church is not ours, it's Jesus's. We don't decide what we do. Jesus decides what we do. We, do. We, don't, we don't get to make up our mission. Jesus gives us our mission. And so we have expressed in a few elegantly simple words what Jesus wants us to do as a church, and that's our mission as Hillside Baptist Church, to love God, love people, and to make disciples. If you don't do anything else for the rest of your life, if you do these three things, I can guarantee you won't waste your life. Love God, love people, and make disciples. And as we move forward as a church, this is what we have to be about. This is what we have to embrace. This is what we have to give ourselves to, to know that we're going to stand before Jesus one day. And to know with all our heart that we did the, the mission that he has called us to do, we have to look up and we have to look out. Because the more we look in, the more miserable we're going to be. But, the, but God wants us to do more. That, he wants to do something more than that. He wants us to call us up out of ourselves to look up, right? The field is white for harvest. But you got to look up, right? If you're navel-gazing, you can't see the field. But if you look up and you see the field and it's white for harvest, you think, my goodness, somebody needs to get to work. We have the privilege to labor for God. In the book of Revelation, there's these elders. We don't even know who they are. We do know this. They have golden crowns. And what do they do with them? They throw them at Jesus' feet. Everything I've achieved on this earth, Jesus, was for you. That's what we need to be about as we talk about our mission. And we're going to talk about it from Matthew chapter 
22, Matthew chapter 22. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. These are the great commandments that God has appointed for us, that he has given to us, that when he's questioned about, Lord, what is it that God wants us what what is God wants us to do? You know, the, the Israelites had hundreds and hundreds of laws. It's like, what do I just, just simplify it for me, Jesus. What does God want me to do? This is what he says. Matthew twenty two thirty four. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, this is, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The word of God. You may be seated. Okay, so the first thing we're called to do as a church is to love God. The first thing we're called to do as a church is to love God. St. Augustine in his confessions wrote a brief prayer that captured the fundamental truth about human nature. This is what he wrote like 1,600 years ago. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. King Solomon put it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Solomon wrote, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. As human beings, we exist for God. We exist for God. You were made for God. You were made to know God, to love him, to reflect him, to represent him in the world. What does it mean? It means that you are never more fully human than when you're in intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And your highest duty and greatest privilege as a human being is to know and love the God who made you and who gave you life and breath and everything. Which means that apart from God, we lose the very core and essence of who we are. There is a gaping chasm found in the soul of every man that only God can fill. That is why, that's why, why do people go through such great lengths to achieve something, to earn money, to accomplish something, to feel like they've done something with their lives? It's because we have this insatiable craving to matter. But what I'm here to tell you today is that there, there is no significance greater than knowing that you matter to God. And if we can understand the magnitude of who God is, right, then we could say in our heart of hearts, if I don't matter to anybody else, if I matter to God, it's enough. Everybody is looking for something to captivate them. 
to make them feel like I've accomplished. They look to money, relationships, vocation, children, family, substance. But none of these are able to fill the void left by God in your soul. This is the heart and essence and radical core of Christianity. Jesus Christ said this is eternal life, to know God. And Jesus Christ whom he has sent. When's the last time you sat quiet and alone in the stillness of your heart and just loved God? I think we forget God's a, God's a personal being, right? He's not a hobby, He's not an idea. He's a personal being. He talks. He acts. He thinks. He has a mind. He has personality. You can know him. You can talk to him. You can have a relationship with him. When when you're lonely and you feel like you got no one to talk to, you can talk to the God of the universe. When you feel like no one else cares, you can look up to the one who literally made everything and say, he cares. Before before God ever wants us to do a single thing for him, he just wants us to love him. In Luke 10, 38, we have the story of Mary and Martha. It says, now they went on their way, uh, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and, and a woman uh, named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him teaching, to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. If we're going to be a church worthy of the name, then we need to be Mary's before we're Martha's. You know, as a church, we just, it's just easy to get caught up of, you know, do this, do that, or as Steve was talking about, preferences. But I want to reach a point in my heart and in my mind, and I hope you do too, that on a Sunday morning, my only agenda To see my Savior, to know him, to encounter with him, to gather with people who I know love him so that together we can see Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. I want to reach that point where that's the only thing that I want to happen is when we gather in this room that Jesus shows up. So we can stand amazed in his presence. 
Jesus doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need a single thing from us, which makes it all the more incredible that he wants us. To know him, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is the greatest person and the greatest being that there is. I I hope you've had the privilege of knowing some great people in your life. I've met some wonderful people in this world. Many of y'all in this room. Who just, it's a privilege to know them. And they bring, and people who are full of Jesus, they, 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 They bring joy and beauty to your life, and it's a wonderful thing. You have a privilege of knowing wonderful people. It's a a marvelous thing. Friends, you haven't met anyone if you haven't met Jesus. No one is as good as he is. No one is as kind and merciful and gracious and powerful and understanding and mighty and fierce and jealous for his glory and for your love. No one is as faithful and as true. No one will fight for you. No one has your back. No one will be a friend when everyone else abandons you. No one is like Jesus. If you know Jesus, trust me, you love him. You can't know Jesus without loving him. Our highest calling, our greatest possible good, our greatest possible achievement as a human being is to love God. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. All of you. You see, it's it's a pretty good deal. All you got to do is give God all of you. But guess what you get? All of God. It's a good deal. He's got a lot more to offer than you do. It's a good deal. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, The prophet condemned the Jews because they presented themselves as loving God, but their actions betrayed their real hearts because they gave God their leftovers. They sacrificed the weak and the lame sheep. They they didn't give God their best, but the leftovers that they had no issue with parting with anyway. They gave the facade of loving God, but it wasn't with their heart. If we do one thing as a church, it needs to be this. It needs to be a place where if somebody shows up, they can say, I don't know what's going on over there, but they love Jesus. If we don't do anything else, if we do that, we've done it. All of our heart all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Church, let's not be a church that gives God our leftovers. 
Let's not be a church that gives our best to everything else and gives the rest to Jesus. Let's be a church that gives everything we got to Jesus. There's nothing like it. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. People who think that there's more joy to be had outside of Jesus Christ are sorely mistaken. The thing you crave the most is Jesus, and you don't even know it. Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Our mission, number one, is to love God. Our mission, number two, is to love people. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If the highest calling, privilege, and joy of humanity is knowing and loving God, the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. You might be surprised, but a lot of ink has been spilled to try to figure out what that means. What's interesting about this command to love your neighbor as yourself is that, by and large, love of self is presented very negatively in the Bible. We're not really supposed to love ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. And so it's very interesting then that Jesus makes self-love the very ground of the, the greatest of all human commandments, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But I think that's part of just, frankly, the sheer genius of it. Because God knows humanity because he made us. He knows human weakness because, he, because we're fallen creatures and he knows that. And so in other words, he takes something that is innate to every human being that is because of our fallen natures, everyone has an innate bent to self-gratification and self-preservation. We just do. And so God, in just his, his, his infinite wisdom, takes this innate aspect of our human nature and turns it on its head and takes what the devil would use for evil and makes it work for good. Because if we would spend half the time and energy that we use trying to love ourselves, and if we would take that time and energy and effort and use that same energy to seek to love other people, they wouldn't know what hit them. That's what's amazing. And, what's, and again, what's, what's, what's incredible about it is that, is that we were actually made for this. We were made for this because in God's wisdom, right, in God's wisdom, it's actually when we are lifted up outside of ourselves and understand that we are living for something greater than ourselves, that is when we actually experience the greatest joy in our lives and the greatest sense of life and happiness and, and purpose and meaning when we're doing something bigger than ourselves, when we're living, so, when we're living for somebody besides ourselves, You show me a person who is just constantly concerned with themselves 
and their wants and their preferences, I'll show you a miserable person. Show me a person who just sees a need and says, I'm going to meet that. Oh, they need help. And they're so busy thinking about God and other people that they're not thinking about themselves. I'll show you a person full of joy, of happiness, of gratitude, of grace. The harder, you know, happiness is like, true joy and happiness is like soap. The harder you squeeze it to grab it, the more it slips away. And in a strange, just beautiful, ironic twist against the devil, the more we seek to find the joy of other people enjoying God, the more we find it for ourselves. God has a glorious way of taking evil and using it for good. So the rule then is to, in the love of neighbor, is to love your neighbor as yourself. We're all pretty good at loving ourselves. If you say you ain't, you lying. Don't lie in church. We can use that same energy to love other people. It takes work to do that. It takes sympathy. It takes empathy. It, takes, it also takes a knowledge of the truth, right? Notice what it says. Love, I mean, love your neighbor as yourself, right? But that love has a biblical shape, right? It doesn't necessarily mean do whatever they might want you to do for them. That's the rub, isn't it? In other words, sometimes what people might feel like is love might not actually be love. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Sometimes, if you were in a certain spot in your life, and and you were sober and honest about that, if a person loved you, what you would be honest with about yourself is you probably just need a big knock on the head. Hello? So we have to think. We have to be wise. We have to be biblical. But we have to love people. The rule of, the, the rule of love becomes the New Testament measure of the entire Christian ethic. This is pretty remarkable, right? Because in the Old Testament, they had all these laws. They had all these laws. But Jesus was saying that those laws were just the manifestation at that time for Israel of what it meant to love. And so when you love people, you are fulfilling the law, the law of God, the law of Christ. And the love of the church becomes the mechanism of of people seeing the glory of God. In Matthew 5.14, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There is a way to love people where people see that, and they say, wow. And they give glory not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. This is an opportunity as a church. Love is the greatest apologetic. A lot of people, you know, when we talk about sharing Jesus with people, they get real nervous. You know, I'm not that smart. Look, one thing that nobody can argue with is love. You love them. And you love them in Jesus' name. 
And that's your witness in the world, so that they see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're after. We're not after our glory. We're not after the glory of Hillside Baptist Church. We're after the glory of our Father who is in heaven. And God has blessed us in, in profound ways. And you, you name it, go ahead, start counting your blessings. I'll wait. God has blessed us so that we could do good for other people to his glory. So that they can see that Jesus really does make a difference in our lives. And when we do that, when we love people for Jesus' sake, Jesus is going to start drawing people to himself. And that is the greatest way that you can love somebody. is by pointing them to Jesus. And so we need to double down as a church on the great commandments. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. When we do those things, God's going to show up. He's going to move. He's going he's to make change. The first thing he's going to change is us. So let's be great. The great commandments. Love God with all we are and love our neighbor as ourselves. The last thing, the last part of our mission is make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. The greatest expression of our love for God and our love for neighbor is making disciples. It is. The greatest way you can love somebody is to care enough about their eternal soul to point them to Jesus. Now we can and should do tangible acts of good. We can't neglect one and, uh, without the other. But the greatest way you can love somebody is to point them to forgiveness of sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can hardly say that we love our neighbors if we're not seeking to make disciples. If we're not seeking to reach people for Jesus. It's our greatest expression. Think about it. If we hung out for, if, if, if me and you hung out for years and we were really good friends, and then, um, and then one day I get a phone call and I talk a little bit and, they, and my friend was like, well, uh, well, well, who's that? I was like, oh, that's my wife. They were like, oh, I didn't know you were married. That's a problem. Wives, am I lying? When someone's important to you, you talk about them. Not to be weird, because you love them. You, we talk about people that we love. And you know what? When you've met a lovely person, you know what I'm talking about? A lovely person, you know? You want other people to meet them. Hey, let me introduce you to my wife. She's awesome. When you, have, when you have lovely people, you want other people to meet them. Why? Because you love them. What is making disciples? 
It's saying, it, what is making disciples? It's not, we overcomplicate it. Making a disciple is just simply saying, look, I have met the most incredible person. And I want you to know them too. It's how we love people. When we know that Jesus has enriched our lives in more ways than we could possibly count, why would we want to give that same thing? You see, Jesus is different from us, right? We, only, we have a limited capacity. We have a limited bandwidth and time and opportunity for a relationship. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus can have a private conversation with 8 billion people at the same time. Praise God. That's a wonderful thing. It's an incredible thing. Making disciples. Making disciples, according to Jesus, is sharing, uh, is, is sharing the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and in earnestness and love, pleading with them to receive forgiveness through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. Right? So if we're going to make disciples, the first step of making disciples is to share the gospel. Because the gospel is what? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so we share the gospel with people. Remember, the gospel, all the gospel is, is news. It's news. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not what you do, it's what God has done. And no, I mean, no, not everybody's going to believe it. Yes, some people are going to think you're weird. Dear friends, if you can't stand the thought of being weird for Jesus, how are you ever going to really suffer for him? Yes, yes, a, a man in a robe is going to descend from heaven. That may sound a little strange, but either it's going to happen or it's not. And if it's going to happen, you better be ready when it does. And we have the privilege of saying, like, when that happens, when that happens, we can know him, right? When you, when you haven't seen a, a close friend for a long, long time and you show up, you just, you just love him. And you, when Jesus comes back, guess what? There's going to be two kinds of people. There's going to be somebody who's, who when, when, we sit, when the man splits the sky, there's only two reactions. Either you're going to be terrified out your mind or you're going to say, he's coming for me. That's my friend. And we get, to make, we get to help people be ready for the greatest day that's ever going to happen. So we make disciples, right? And no, not everyone's going to believe, but you know what? Some will. You know why? Because God's in it. Right? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Chad isn't the power of God for salvation. Stephen isn't the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be a genius. You share the gospel, and guess what? God can save people. Because, yes, it's foolishness to the world, but guess what? To those who are being called, it is the power of God. And that's the initial step. When someone believes in Jesus and they become a Christian, that's the beginning, because Jesus said in the Great Commission, Go, therefore, uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What's the next step? Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. 
So what is the what is the what is the mark of uh, of discipleship? It's leading people to Jesus, and then when they've been led to Jesus, they are to be taught to obey everything Jesus commanded. So why am I here? It's discipleship. Why are we here, right? It's discipleship, right? I don't know if anyone in this room has already perfected the art of obeying everything Jesus has commanded. If, if that's you, we need to swap places. What's the point? The point is, is that we are disciples, right? And what's our job? Our job, our job as a church is to what? Is to grow in obedience to Jesus Christ. Which is why we should be holy. Which is why we should be faithful. Which is why there's such a thing as spiritual accountability in our lives. Because how we live our lives actually matters because it tells the world about what we believe about Jesus. And so these are, these are biblical things because our lives matter because that's the whole point. That's the whole mission, right? We come to know Jesus and then we have to grow in Jesus to learn how to obey him. Because it's not easy and it's not automatic. And we're on a journey of doing that. And guess what? we got to help other people on a journey of doing that. And so we preach the gospel. And we, and look, and we exercise patience with people and love and, and, and mercy. But at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're, we're people growing in Christ-likeness because that's what God has called us to do, right? To, to love him, to love people, and to make disciples. This is our mission as a church. God... God, if you're a Christian this morning, God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he has brought you together with a local group of believers, as we talked about last time, right? Because you can't one another yourself. All right? And so that, so that what? So that together we can learn and live out our faith and love and obedience to Jesus as we do what? As we wait for our Savior to return. And we do that together, and it's a glorious thing. And we get to participate in the work of God in bringing, in, in bringing people eternal salvation and forgiveness of sins. It's an unbelievable thing that we get to participate in. We get to tell the greatest story that has ever been told. And not just that, but like, you understand, we participate in that story. The story when we read that Jesus died on the cross and that the Holy Spirit was poured out on Peter and them and they preached the gospel and 2,000 got, people got saved. That's just not something that happened 2,000 years ago. We're saying that that's my story. I'm part of that story. That spirit that got poured out on Peter, guess what? God gave him to me when I turned from my sins and believed in Jesus. In the same way that Peter led people to Jesus to the forgiveness of sins, God can use me to do the same thing. And there's a world, I don't know if you realize, but there's a world full of lost people out there. And they don't know their right hand from their left because they don't know Jesus. But who's going to tell them? It's got to be us, church. It's got to be us. And as we do that, I'm telling you, When you start focusing on the most important things, we realize just how unimportant the unimportant things are. That's where we need to go. 
That's where we need to be. We have the story of Jesus. We have the only hope for Dodge County in this room, in this book. Do you believe that? We have the only hope for Dodge County. Let's be about our mission, to love God, love people, and make disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, um, we, we are a product of your mission. Lord, somewhere in the sovereign providence of God, you appointed somebody to share the gospel with somebody, to share the gospel with somebody, to share the gospel with somebody, until 2,000 years after your ascension back into heaven, Lord, at some point in our lives, whether at a church building, uh, whether um, at work, whether in college or wherever, Lord, someone shared the gospel with us and we believed because of your mercy for us. And now, Lord, we get to participate in that same story as Hillside Baptist Church. God, help us to do that. Help us to, to look up and see the work. God, that needs to be done. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we pray, Lord, send out laborers for the harvest. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Help us, Lord, on this mission. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So use this, God, we pray in Jesus' name.